0: Well, good morning, Venture. It's good to see you in the room. And for those of you online, welcome. We're glad that you're here. For those in the room, I hope that you uh, found a penny on the way in. Uh, We have pennies out there. If you didn't pick up your penny, uh, I'm going to ask you to kind of reach into your pocket or your purse and pull one out because this is going to be really important for our message today. Uh, Someone said, why are you handing out pennies? And I said, because my preaching is that bad, I have to pay people now. So I just paid you a penny to, to come listen to me. So we're glad that you're here with us today. We are in the middle of a sermon series based on Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain, the most important message that has ever been preached. And this morning we're going to drop into a section where we talk about the idea of not worrying. When I was a kid growing up, a, a phrase my mom would uh, often say to me was, she would say, a penny for your thoughts. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit it right here, right now. Uh, I had nothing when she asked me that question. You know, it was like, "So penny for your thoughts? What are you thinking? Eh, mom, I'm really not. She thought I was kidding, but. I really wasn't. Later on, I got married. and My wife has a version of this, and says, hey, honey, what are you thinking? It's like, R- really not, right, guys? I mean, you start to think, am I supposed to be thinking about something? Should I be thinking about something? Should I make up that I'm thinking about something right now? You know, so once I said, well, honey, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about our first date, which was do not do this, guys. There's, there's a problem. I hadn't thought this through. She said, oh, good. Where was it? Uh, La Rosa's Pizzeria, I think. Yeah. Then she said, what was I wearing? <laughs> see, this is why you don't go there, guys. Then, then she said, what were you wearing? And I was busted. I mean, so I just confess anymore. She says, what do you think? I go, nothing. <laughs> you see, guys can do that. You know, um, here's, here's the truth for you, ladies. This is worth the price of admission today. Um, males are capable of being the most thoughtless people in the world. Because um, most of the time, we do not have a thought. There, there's nothing there. This is not something we're making up. When we say we are not thinking about something, we really are not thinking about something. Science has found that women think about multiple things all the time. You know, on this side of their brain, they can have five or six ideas rolling around all the time. And on this side of their brain, they can have five or six ideas rolling around. And while they're thinking about them, they all get together and do this. Men kind of do this. <laughs> Sometimes this. But after about 15 minutes of this, it kind of goes this. And that is when you say, what are you thinking? And we are, we were thinking something before, but we are not thinking now. So that's just kind of, so... If you're here with the guy who's special in your life, turn to him right now and freak him out by saying, what are you thinking? Go ahead. Just go ahead and do that. Go ahead. Yeah. I know. All you guys are thinking, I did not wear enough deodorant. Yeah. Because, you know, you've been thinking about how you're going to lie to your wife about what you're thinking right now. You know who's more thoughtless than an adult male? A teenager. A boy teenager, you remember when your your sons were so young and cute, and they were affectionate and they were thoughtful, and then puberty hit, and all of a sudden every thought in their brain got covered up by testosterone, and now they can't think. They couldn't have a thought, and so here's what parents do all the time: their kids screw up, especially their boys, and they look at them, and they go, "What were you thinking?" And he goes, "I wasn't." And they really aren't. They can't. It's just it's all swamped up with hormones at this point. Yes. We can be thoughtless at times. Well, that's, the, that's what's so important about today's message because today's message is going to be a penny for your thoughts. What are you really thinking right now? Because what you're thinking right now is critical to your life right now. So Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. And for some of you, they're going, got it? Okay, let's go to lunch. You can just do the prayer now. We're out of here. We got it. But for some of you, that's not going to work. You know, it's not that simple. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Now. Jesus did not say, don't worry. Be happy. Now, here's what I just planted a thought in your brain. You're going to work all week. You're going to work all day trying to forget that song. All this day, you're going to go, don't worry me. Because thoughts have a way of invading our mind and taking up residency and controlling our thoughts, and we'll talk more about that later on. When it comes to worry, I've observed there are three big groups of people that react differently to worry. The first group is I call... Can't worry if I wanted to. They're the kind of people who wake up in the morning, and if they found a third eye in the middle of their forehead, they would just go, cool. I don't know what I'm going to do with this third eye, but it is really cool. Some people are like that. Other people are situational worriers. For the most part, they can go through life not worrying about a lot, but something comes up at work, at home, in a relationship, and they start to worry about it, but they have this ability. Like their worry has a shelf life. It just expires. You know, they get past it and they're done. And they go on with the rest of their day, their week, maybe a month before they're going to get into a situation that prompts them to worry. And then there are my favorite worriers in the whole world. I call these people the Olympic caliber worriers. And you know who you are. When I said we're going to talk about worry, you started to worry right off the bat. You know, you think that worry is written into your DNA. You think your love language is to worry. You know, you think that everybody worries like you. In fact, you are incredibly worried about the people who don't worry. So you're going to worry for them because there's just so much worry that has to happen if the world's going to keep going. And so you're going to worry for them, even if they don't want to. You're going to worry about your spouse. You're going to worry about your kids. You're going to worry about your coworkers. You're going to worry about the weather. Stan, are you worried about the weather for Church on the Lawn? See, he's a don't worry kind of guy. He couldn't worry about that if he wanted to. My wife's already worried about next Sunday's weather because my grandkids are going to be here. And they want her to, they want to have a good experience for them. And she's going, look at next Sunday. It might rain. I was seven days away. I know, but I got what happened, you know. My wife has that DNA in her. She can do that kind of thing. Saying, don't worry to a person who worries it's like saying to the rest of us don't breathe saying don't worry is like saying to them hey just don't let your heart beat just don't worry guess what be happy that's all you need so how do we overcome worry Jesus has said don't worry does, is that all he said about it, or did he give us some ideas about how not to worry? I think he did, and I want to share you with you those things today. So, how do we obey this idea when Jesus says, don't worry about your life? The answer is a penny for your thoughts. I'll give you a penny for your thoughts, because here's what's so important. Now, I'm going to talk about three things today. I'm going to talk about new news, I'm going to talk about good news, and I'm going to talk about hard news, okay, New news, good news, and hard news. The new news is this. For most of us, we don't know this, so it's new news. We are our thoughts. We are our thoughts. Worry is not a spiritual gift. Worry is not a disease. Worry is not an addiction. Worry is nothing more than a thought. Worry is a thought, but the problem is that our thoughts shape us. They shape how we see ourselves, and they shape how we see the world around us. A, a new study found that the average person thinks 6,200 thoughts a day. Undoubtedly, they did not survey males in this. It would have been a lot less. And they, we all think about 6,200 thoughts a day. That's kind of an incredible thing, isn't it? I mean, we're just being bombarded by thoughts all the time. 80% of them, by the way, are negative. 80% of sixty-two. 100 thoughts that roll through the average person's brain per day is negative. It's what we do with that negativity. It's what we do with those 80% that can shape our lives in ways that will cause us to worry. So, thoughts, including worry, are who we are. We are our thoughts. The vast majority of the things that we've done in life, both good and bad, started as a thought. When you messed up, Remember asking yourself, what was I thinking? Even guys, by the way, ask themselves that. What was I thinking? How you see the world around you is framed by your thoughts. Our thoughts see things, they collect it, they interpret it, and then they present a vision for the world. Let's face it, for the last 16, 18 months, the stimulus of thoughts coming into our minds pretty negative. And so most of us see the world as a very unsafe place to be because that's the majority of the images that we've been, uh, been given in our life right now. And how we over, how we see ourselves comes from the thoughts that are generated not only from people outside us and even from ourselves, but from other people around us. How do think people think about us? Do they think we're smart or do they think we're stupid? Do they think we're attractive or do they think we're ugly? Do we, they think we're successful or do they... we're failures and we take that information and it becomes who we are because it lives in our thoughts and so this is how we begin to think about ourselves because we are pretty much our thoughts in fact one one man who writes about the importance of thoughts says you are mostly your thoughts think about that for a while you're not your experiences your experiences have been brought about by a thought you are mostly your thoughts. And that's why Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 says this. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. How I think about myself, the thoughts that I allow to be part of my mind, will become my vision of me and my idea of who I am in this universe. The philosopher and theologian Dallas Willard wrote about the importance of our thoughts, and how important they are, how we view ourselves, and how we view the world around us. When he said this, we live at the mercy of our ideas. There's a lot of truth in there that can be camped out on. We live at the mercy of our ideas. ideas. Ideas that we've generated, people have generated for us. We live at the mercy of our ideas. So what you've thought about is who you are. What you will think about is who you will become, because you are mostly your thoughts. And that's what Jesus knew. This is what Jesus was getting to in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, don't worry. Worry is a thought. So is it even possible? Is worry even a possibility for... I, I get it. Some of us don't. and Some of us do occasionally. But how about for the hardcore Olympic caliber written into your DA? That's your love language warrior. Is it possible? Yes. I believe Jesus says it is. So let me say this. Penny, for your thoughts right now? Are you saying, eh, maybe? Preacher ain't no way. So you're going to be that thought. So let me give you the good news first. The good news is this, we can change our thoughts. We can change our thoughts. One theme in the New Testament is you are forgiven. As powerful, and probably the other side of that coin, is the New Testament teaching is you can change. God can forgive you of your sins, and God can change you from your sins. It is, the, it is the head and the tail of the coin of the New Testament message. Yes, you have been forgiven, and you've been forgiven not to do it again. Dallas Willard continued his thoughts on how important our thoughts are when he wrote this. We get to choose what we think. We get to choose what we think about, which in turn affects our emotions like worry. The ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon. So let's revisit Jesus' statement. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. And then he starts to unpack how to stop worrying. And he says in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. And then in verse 28 see how the lilies of the field. Is Jesus saying the answer to stop worrying is plant a garden and watch birds? Maybe. Maybe that's the place where you start. You see because when you're worried, where is your focus? Right here in a mirror. This is my life. This is my mess. This is all the stuff that I can't control. This is all the things that I I have no answers for. And we just kind of stare at it. And Jesus goes, Hey, you want to stop worrying? Sure, I'd love to stop worrying. He goes, Change where you're thinking, change the focus of your thoughts. Okay, where do I go? Look at birds, look at flowers. That's the beginning because he's saying stop looking within and start to look around, did you catch that? Stop looking within where all your worries are and start looking around, get your focus someplace else. Now I have a a number of David's top five rules for understanding the Bible and uh, here's like number one, if you really wanna understand the Bible, you really need to know this rule, you may wanna write this down if you have the app, I don't think there's a place for you to put it, but you, want, you might want to take it in your notes section because this is critical for understanding the Bible, and I love to put it in ways that people are going to remember it. And so it goes like this. Butts are big in the Bible. Butts are big in the Bible. If you're going to read the Bible and get the most out of it, you've got to remember the rule, butts are big in the Bible. Anytime you run into the word but with one T, anytime you run into the word but, something important is going to happen. The but always means that whatever was before is going to be different afterwards. Look at what Jesus has already said in Matthew chapter 5 when he has used this kind of language. In chapter 521, he says, you've heard. 522, but I tell you. 527, you have heard it said. 28, but I tell you. 531, it was said, but I tell you. You've heard it. I tell you, you've heard it, but I tell you, you have heard it, but I tell you, six times in that very short amount of time, what does he do? He says, you need to change how you think. You used to think like this, but now because of me, you're gonna think like this. And so you always wanna key in on what comes after the but. This is what's so amazing, is that Jesus anticipates you have the ability to change. Without the but, there's no change. He would just have said, You heard it, just keep hearing it. It's been said, it's still being said. Jesus said, No, 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 no. It was, but now you can think this way. And I love the power of those statements. You know what I love? I love when science and scripture come together to confirm um, anything, but especially when it comes to confirming that we can change our thoughts. In the field of science, there's this word called neuroplasticity which means that our brain has the amazing ability to change and adapt as a result of our experiences. My daughter's a speech therapist, and one of her jobs is to take people who have had a stroke, an injury, an accident, and has had brain trauma, and teach them how to swallow and speak. And they come in, and they can't do either of the, any of those things. But because the brain can be rewired she can teach them how to swallow and she can teach them how to speak again and she can tell others can teach them how to function at work drive automobiles hold down jobs process information there was a tremendous brain injury but suddenly because of the right experience all of a sudden what they couldn't do they can now do again because of the brain is wired to rewire itself And there's a reason for that, because that was God's plan for us. Scripture says, I mean, we talk neuroplasticity to science, but Scripture says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God has created our brain with the ability to rewire Why? So that he can rewire us through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. You know, most Christians have a really good understanding of Jesus' mission. Jesus came to die for our sins so that we can be forgiven and go to heaven. What What we don't necessarily understand or appreciate or lean into is the fact that after Jesus left, he gave us the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to transform us. That's the part that we don't lean into as much. And in there lies the ability for the Holy Spirit to rewire our brain, to transform our minds, and the ability to change. Every preacher has a phrase that people use with them that just sets their hair on fire. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what mine is. If you want to push my button, say this to me sometime. I'm not, um, not sure I can... Won't do something really bad, but you can use this on me sometime. We can be having a conversation. You just look at me and say, David, I can't change. (laughs) You do realize that is half the message of the New Testament. You do realize that's why the Holy Spirit has come to earth and lives in the lives of Christians. The whole purpose of that is to change. And when Christians go, I can't change, I go, You do not understand the Holy Spirit. You do not understand the gospel message. You do not understand the good news. The good news is yes, but now I can think differently. So, Penny, for your thoughts. For those of you who keep telling yourself, I can't change, I can't stop worrying. Are you worried? So I told you some new news. We are our thoughts. I told you some good news. We can change our thoughts. But the third thing is this. This is some hard news. We must control our thoughts. We can't stop 6,200 thoughts from passing through our mind every day. It's just impossible. Don't worry. Be happy. That's intentional. Don't worry. Be happy now. Plant the thought. Yeah go. All day long, it. you're going to think about that. What are you going to let happen? to be happy. It's going to sneak in. You're going to be having lunch and you're going to go. Do, 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 do. You know, you're going to be watching TV because 6,200 thoughts cross our minds every day. And you got to decide which ones of them pass through and which ones of them stick. Which ones of them come through and they have to be put someplace because they have no place in my life. And which ones do I hold on to and say, these have place in my life. I love what Martin Luther, the reformer and theologian, wrote many, many years ago. <laughs> he said, you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. <laughs> what is he saying? He says, you get, you get the opportunity to manage your thoughts. You make that choice. 6,200 birds are going to fly through your brain each and every day. Which ones of them are you going to let build a nest? Um, Pastor. Rick Warren put it this way. You can't keep the devil from suggesting thoughts, but you can choose not to dwell or act on them. Isn't that amazing that we have the choice? Now, with the power of the Holy Spirit comes the responsibility that we have to use him to manage which which thoughts get to go through, get tied up, or get locked in. And that's where Scripture comes in. The Apostle Paul wrote to all Christians, do this one thing. When it comes to your thoughts, he says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, take captive every thought. Did you catch that idea? Take captive. Put it in chains. Figure out what you're going to do with it. And then make it obedient to Christ. This is the hard news because the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the opportunity and he, he will do it if we do our thing. It's our responsibility to manage those thoughts. They're going to come through. It's just what we're going to do with them. It's not like once you become a Christian, those thoughts just kind of bounce off your head and don't go through. They go through. You just have a choice now what you do with them. And you have the power through the Holy Spirit to accomplish that. Let me me put it this way. You don't allow everyone who knocks on your door to come in, do you? Why not? Some people don't belong in your house right? In fact, most of us now have video doorbells. We don't even get off the lazy boy to even answer the door. It's like, look at your phone. Don't know him. He ain't coming in. I'm not even going to answer the door. There are some ideas that will knock on your brain and you got to look at it and go, I don't know that thought. I don't know where that one came from. I'm not really going to dwell on that one. And then there are some thoughts that you open the door to some people will knock on your door and you'll say hi. I, I know you and I, uh, I kind of trust you and they come in and you have a conversation. You might sit down and maybe have a coke with them or a coffee or a, a sweet tea, and, and then you go well. It's time for you to leave. <laughs> you know it's, it's time for you to leave, and, and you try to you start walking to the door. Here, let me help you with your, with your stuff because I know you you got places to go and places to be and you're kind of walking that out. But then there are some people that knock on your door, like my my daughter and my grandkids are coming on, on Saturday, and I'm going to run to the door, and I'm going to throw that open, and i got a bed ready for them, and they're going to hang out with us for a couple days, and life is no better than that. I'm coo- going to choose to lock them in. Same with thoughts. There are some thoughts that should They can ring your doorbell. You just do not let them come in. And there might be a few, and they sneak in, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to, you know, like, like, you know, guests and fish are the same after three days, Churchill said they both stink. You know, you, you know ah, this this one, and you gotta just, you kind of gotta like wrap it up and say, nope, not gonna think about this. You gave it some time, but you know, okay, you're taking it captive and you're putting it out there. And then there are some that you really do embrace. Because God has good thoughts for us. What are some of those good thoughts? Let me share them with you. The first is this and you need to take this captive lock it down in your brain it will change your life the first is this you were made in the image of God and you are more than you look or how you perform if you can just lock that idea down it helps tremendously about how we see the world and how we see ourselves number two You have been given a divine identity and a divine purpose in this life. And so God has made you unique because you have a unique mission. And God has formed you just for your mission. And you may not look like others and you may not act like others, but that is your divine identity, your divine mission is locked up in being different. The third is this, you are un unconditionally loved by God. Unconditionally. There's nothing you could do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to lose it. You are just unconditionally loved by God. God does not look at you and say, well, if you were a little more or a little less, if you're better and better at, or not as bad as, there's none of that. It's just this open arms of God who just says to you, you are unconditionally loved. That thought will transform your life. The next one is, Because you're loved by and made in the image of God, Jesus died for you. I love the statement that says, that Jesus loved you so much that he did not want to spend eternity without you. He died so that he could spend not only eternity, but this life with you. Wrap your mind around the idea that Jesus loves you so unconditionally that he chose the cross. and Jesus has died, yes, to forgive you, but then he sent his Holy Spirit to be in you, to indwell you, and to transform you. Who you've been does not have to be who you will be. Therein lies the thought... That the Holy Spirit has come to change us. And lastly, this, when you see all of those things, you are more than you think. You are more than you could even imagine. You are that precious to God. You see, when it comes to our thoughts, we need to control our thoughts by training our thoughts. Here's a very valuable statement that I just want to leave with you today. To train your thoughts is to change your thoughts. To train your thoughts, to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ is how we change our thoughts. Penny for your thoughts? So what is the one thought this is, this is what everybody wants. What's, give me one thought, Dave. What is the one thought that will keep us from worrying? By the way, the penny that you have in your hand, I hope you'll pull it out right now, take a look at it. It's right there. The one thought is the one thought that's at the top of that penny. In fact, it's on all of the denominations of our currency. The one statement, in God we trust. That's why I gave you that penny today. Because that statement is how you stop worrying. Remember, earlier I said, Jesus just said, don't worry. (laughs) And we thought, well, does that mean I just take up gardening and watch birds? No, it it changes what what we're focused on. And then he would say, you know, look at the birds. But then what does he say after that? Look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly Father feeds them. There's the truth. Your heavenly Father feeds those birds. Remember he said look at the lilies of the field. He doesn't say just start planting a garden. He goes, did you notice that God clothes them? See that's the part we have to hold on to. That's the thought we have to hold on to. My goodness if the Father feeds the birds and clothes the plants what will he do for us? You see, worry ends when trust begins. When you come to fully trust God, worry will come to an end. When you fully trust God, we worry because we don't know what is coming. God does. We we worry because we don't know if we can control the circumstances. God can. Trusting God is the most powerful, life-changing Worry-ending thought that you could have to take captive and hold in your mind. Remember I said first we are our thoughts? When your first thought is, I trust God, you will see everything differently. And you will see everything confidently. Remember I said we can change our thoughts? See, when our first thought is, I trust God, All the other thoughts change around it. Our minds are transformed around that thought. I can trust God in this. Remember I said lastly we must control our thoughts. See when our first thought is I trust God, all the other thoughts line up behind it. They just all line up behind that driving thought. I trust God. Life's most pivotal question is, can I trust God? Hey, preacher, got any evidence of that? Jesus said, hey, look at the birds. Your father feeds them. Look at the lilies of the field. He clothes them. Yeah, but what about me? What evidence is there that I can trust you? I get the birds and the lilies, but what about me? My life is more complicated than birds and plants. Let me ask you this. If you trust God with your eternal life, why won't you trust him with your earthly life? If you're trusting God for your eternal life, why won't you trust him for this life? The answer to the question is, how do I trust God? And that's where we're at in our service right now. We're communion. So I'm going to ask you to take your communion out and uh, take out that, that wafer and hold it for just a moment. The answer to can I trust God is right in your hands. That wafer reminds us That Jesus allowed his body to be crucified for you and for me because he loves us so. Yes, God feeds the birds and he clothes the plants. But his body was broken for you and for me. You can trust him because no matter who you are, Jesus died for you. You can trust Him because no matter what you've been told by others, Jesus' body was broken for you. You can trust Him because no matter what you've done, Jesus' body was broken for you. What we hold is the evidence that we can trust Jesus, for our eternal life and our earthly life. And Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The body of Christ broken for you. take the juice that represents Jesus blood and ask yourself the same question can i trust can i trust god can i trust him and not worry you see that juice reminds you that Jesus allowed his blood to be shed on the cross for you sure god feeds the birds and he clothes the flowers but his blood was shed For you and for me no exceptions no exclusions you worry because there are circumstances that you can't control but you can trust the god who bled himself dry for you you can't control chance you can't control the actions of others and even the results of your own decisions and actions But you can trust the God who shed his last drop of blood on a cross for you. This cup represents the undeniable fact that we can trust God. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you the blood of Christ shed for you Heavenly Father we know that you feed the birds and you clothe the the plants but we trust you because your body was broken and your blood was shed for us you love us that much that we, you are so engaged in our life and you do not want us to worry because you are with us and you will be with us and whatever we're facing, you will face it with us. And your body and your blood, they're the evidence that you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us and that we can live confidently that whatever we face, we do not face it alone. We face it with the God of creation and the God of the cross. We thank you, Lord, and we ask all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen.